Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we are tackling IFRS 2. And because it's so big, we're going for a two-parter again. So part one today, we're going to talk about scope and a little bit on cash and equity settled. And then part two, we're going to get into vesting and measurement. And joined with me today, I've got Katie Woods, who is one of our IFRS 2 specialists. It's your debut, Katie. Welcome to the podcast studio. Oh, Ruth, thank you. Great to be here. And for people at home, just to let you know, Katie's my desk buddy. So (laughs) we're slightly worried we're going to laugh too much and have too much fun about IFRS 2. But let's go with it. So first thing, we're going to start at the top. One of the biggest issues, I listen to you on the phone a lot. So one of the biggest (laughs) issues people call you about is, have I even got a share-based payment? Or they just totally miss they've got one and you pick it up as part of a review. So what are your top tips for people of working out if you're in scope? You're probably right. I do spend far too much time on the phone. I think if someone phones me up and said, do I have a share-based payment? Nine times out of 10, they'll have one because they've actually identified that they are that the entity they're looking at has provided some sort of equity instrument or cash based on that value for goods or services that they're receiving. It's actually, you're right, the situation where there aren't or they haven't identified the good or service and it's treated as something completely different and those are more difficult to find because you're looking for an arrangement where the entity is saying I'm going to give you some cash or some shares and the the counterparty the other party is going to give you some goods and services. So I always think virus too, it's hidden everywhere. Like I always miss it and then suddenly like, oh no, there's a share-based payment hidden in there. That's true. <laughs> and um, often it gets confused, and I, we'll probably come on to talk about it, with identifying debt and equity as well under the financial instrument standards because you're looking at the same thing. You're looking to see if something is an equity arrangement or a debt arrangement, but you've also got to look at the other side, what is actually being provided for that equity instrument or debt instrument to the entity providing those those instruments. Okay, so you you said that you could either get equity or you could get cash effectively based on equity. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that equity would be like an easy thing. If I've got a share, then I look if I'm in the scope of IFRS 2. But what you're saying is actually you could end up thinking you're in the scope of financial instruments. That's right. What about with cash? I imagine that's harder because how do you know if your cash is based on a share price? So that's uh, that's what the standard says. It says that if the recipient or the counterparty receives cash based on the fair value of an equity instrument. So a very a typical question you might get asked is, well, it's cash based on an earnings multiple in the business, so an EBITDA or something like that. And generally, because that's a profit measure rather than a, a fair value of the entity, it won't be within the scope of IFRS 2 because it's not based on the fair value of an equity or cash on the fair value of an equity instrument. Conversely, though, if you've got a multiple that, for example, is linked to a particular industry and that multiple is changed or moves with the industry and is applied to a profit measure, you may have an arrangement where the payout is based on the fair value of an equity instrument. It becomes complicated. If you've got a fixed multiple, then chances are you don't either because it's it's not reflecting 
the fair value of the equity of the business. Wow. So you can see automatically why people miss them. Like it it sounds Mm -hmm. like it could be very easy to to miss a share-based payment. Let's start in looking at what the standard says. And there's actually only a couple of paragraphs on scope. Mm -hmm. So again, probably easy to miss. But I think from talking to you, it sounds like we need this counterparty. Mm -hmm. We need some sort of settling party. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be a provision of a good or service. So could we go through each of those in turn? What is a counterparty? So a counterparty in a very simple scenario is an employee. So it's the other party to the share-based payment contract. It is the provider of the other bit you talked about, the good or service. So the counterparty is the party which receives the cash or equity instrument, but provides something, provides the good or service. So a basic one is an employee. Exactly. But you can get much wider than the employee. Settlement party, I I don't really like to focus on the idea of a settlement party because in more complicated group situations, a settlement party, the the one that settles the arrangement, pays the cash or equity instrument, may not be the same entity as that that receives the good or service. So let's call it the party that receives the good or service, the, the entity in the arrangement. And then the good or service, okay, so we've talked about an employee providing services just as a normal working, but good or service can really be anything that is provided to the entity where the counterparty will receive the cash based on the fair value of equity instrument or an equity instrument. Okay, so it could even be, I don't know, you're buying an item of PP&E or Mm -hmm. you're paying for some inventory, Mm -hmm. but rather than giving cash, you issue shares and then you're in scope. Absolutely, that's right. The other thing I have heard about or read about is actually you can even have something called unidentified good or service. So you could think there is no good or service at all and you're still in scope Mm. IRS 2. What does that mean? That always goes down really badly. I can imagine. (laughs) It's made up but you're in scope of IRS 2. Yes, I can't identify the good or service but you're still in scope. So there's a bit of background to this. This is a scenario that actually came from South Africa and it was first identified when particular entities were providing shares to minority groups in order for them to be able to apply for government contracts. So a minority group might get a set of shares, but you couldn't identify the particular good or service they were providing, just knew that the business was then able to apply for particular contracts. So this in of its own was an update to the standard. It came out as an IFRIC then went into the standard, which said, if you can't identify the good or service, but you know that equity instruments or cash based on the fair value of an equity instrument is provided to another party, the counterparty, for them providing something that must be an unidentified good or service. Valuation, obviously you can't value something you can't identify, so you were then told to look at the fair value of the equity instrument to, to, to value it. Okay, so you can even have this concept of you're not really sure what's being provided but you're still in scope and that has an evaluation implication. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I think that gives us, you know, the basics. I'm sure it's far more complicated than reality about scope. I think that gives us the basics. Let's move on. The other question I, I, again, have heard you getting a lot is, do I have an equity settled transaction or a cash settled transaction? Mm -hmm. Which sounds easy because you said you either get equity or cash, but I'm guessing there's a lot more to it than that. So tell us all about that. I will. Can I just interrupt and say about scope? There is actually a specific scope 
paragraph within the standard. So if it's a business combination transaction or a transaction purely as a shareholder, often these are difficult to spot as well, then we would we would scope those out of IFRS 2 and certain financial instruments as well. So it's worth looking at that paragraph just to see if you are in there. So okay. sorry, I so, interrupted no, no, no. you. So there's some scope exemptions correct. we should be careful yeah. of as well. But you're asking about equity? Yeah, or equity cash. or cash settles. So cash is probably the easier one to answer first. When I'm asked the question, and let's again think of this as a single entity arrangement, group arrangements can become terribly complicated because another party might be paying the provider of the good or service. So if you've got a question on that, I'd I'd look at our manual mm-hmm. or I'd, I'd chat to someone else just to, to make sure you're in the right place. Too deep and meaningful for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, or might just, yes, confuse people. Yeah, I might cry. So, <laughs> so if we're in a single entity and the counterparty, the recipient, is receiving cash based on the fair value of the equity instrument that we talked about just a moment ago, then you would say that is a cash settled award. What does that mean? It means that you are going to have to fair value or revalue that award at each reporting date because it's a real liability. It's an amount that has to be paid to somebody else. So that's a cash settled award. And actually, a lot of companies don't like that because you, if you're revaluing, you're going to get volatility through your yeah. profit and loss account. Yeah, I can see why people don't like that. Yeah. Okay. So an equity settle award is a little bit more difficult. If the counterparty is receiving shares or another equity instrument, and a very good example, a very common example would be options, so the right to get a share, your first instinct was to say it would be to say, well, oh, that's an equity settled award. We need to be a little bit more careful. If you're in a scenario where the entity is not listed, it is very unlikely that the entity is going to want that share to disappear off with an employee, say they leave. So there are often arrangements which talk about the shares being mandatorily redeemable. So an employee might get a share, but if they want to realise the value of that share, then you would have to sell it back to the company. And so if you don't end up getting cash. Exactly. So if that's the case, you end up with a cash settled award. So it's very unusual in an unlisted environment to have an equity settled award. That's not to say never. And there are situations where entities don't mind an employee employee, going off and actually realising the value at a later date, perhaps if the entity lists. But if you think about it, it's pretty counterintuitive to, to want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? (laughs) is equity settled and obviously when you've got listed companies they will often provide the right to shares which are easily realizable by the recipient in the market and i've also seen schemes where there's a choice in Mm -hmm. settlement what about those what do we need to think of there so the choice can be on either party you can have a choice by the entity or you can have a choice by the counterparty Well, you've got a choice by the entity, you've really got to look at past practice and stated policy. What have they said they're going to do? If they've said we're going to cash settle this, then you treat it as a liability, you treat it as a cash settle award. If there is no evidence throughout the award and on on grant that it's going to be cash settled, then you can treat it as equity settled. But you do need to look at any evidence of the, of the entity having cash settled the award. That's the entity. If you look at the counterparty choice, you're basically saying to the employee, at the time that you get this award, you can have cash or you can have shares. It's up to you. And that is a compound instrument. 
no different really from what we'd look at in other standards. More often than not, when the counterparty has a choice, the value of the debt component and the equity component will be the same. So you either get cash of this value or equity of the value. So when you measure a compound instrument, you measure the value of the debt component and you measure the value of the instrument as a whole. If the debt and equity are the same value, then you would just have the same. It would just be the same as treating as a cash settled award as well. Okay, so you just get liability. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And okay, so that's choice. What I've seen before to make it a little bit more complicated is where, for example, so back to your unlisted example, Mm -hmm. if there's an IPO, they will get like a share in the listed, a listed share in the new company. If there was a trade sale before that time, then they would get cash Mm -hmm. to the value of the share. And if they actually just complete vesting period, Mm -hmm. you know, vesting conditions, then like you said, it's almost mandatory. If they leave, it's mandatorily redeemable in cash, if I can get my words out. (laughs) What do you do with that, where there's all those different options? So they might sound like options, but actually what the entity or the company is providing to the counterparty are almost three different awards. And what you need to do is look at which is most likely to occur. So if you think the IPO is going to occur and the counterparty will get a true share, and obviously it'll be listed by the time you've got an IPO, then you would treat that as equity settled. If you think there's going to be a trade sale, you treat it as a cash settled award. The complication comes when perhaps the facts change, and we know that they do change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, you'd look at reclassifying the award. So when your evidence changes, you change the treatment, you flip from one to another award. And again, we've got clear guidance in our manual of accounting as to how you deal with that. But but you would actually say, right, I'm no longer doing this, but I'm treating it as, as something else. So you literally look at those three options and basically choose one that's most likely, yeah. treat it like that. And then if that those circumstances change, there's some accounting around flipping exactly. between one and the other. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's really helpful. One thing you mentioned just out of interest is when you um, compound, you said, oh, it's similar actually to what you know we do with a financial instrument. Mm-hmm. The question we often have is debt or equity under IS32 as mm-hmm. well. Is it the same considerations for IFRS2 as it is IS32? Sometimes is the answer. <laughs> so the definition of equity is the same, be it under IFRS2 or under IS32. Okay, so it's the exact same definition. What we don't have, though, is the same way in which it's interpreted at the end. So if you've got equity, you've got equity, no question there. If you've got the settlement, then you need to look at what you're receiving. And different from IS32, if the recipient, the counterparty, is receiving equity, even if it's a fixed number, you would still treat that as equity settled. Whereas under IS32, I think, although we'd probably need to speak to our specialist about it, that you would treat that as debt. So the definition of equity is the same, but the overall classification of the instrument would be different because you're in a completely different standard. Yeah. IFRS 2, it's like its own little bubble in the world of IFRS. <laughs> it's a lovely bubble. A bubble I don't want to be in. <laughs> 
Okay, perfect. So I think that's probably enough for us to get our head around for episode one. So that's the end. We talked a little bit there and there about how do you even spot you're in the scope of IFRS 2. And I think Katie gave us some great advice on, you know, if you are having any payments around your issuing, you've got shares or you've got cash to the value of the shares, then at least look in IFRS 2 even if you yeah. think you've got a financial instrument. And then we got onto a little bit about how do you decide if your cash or equity settled? Because that obviously then has a big impact on the financial statements. When we come back for part two, we're going to get more into vesting conditions and recognition and measurements. So we'll look forward to that, Katie. You're, you're welcome back. <laughs> she actually looks very excited. <laughs> IFRS 2 is her favourite standard. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again soon. For more information on anything we've discussed today, please look at pwc.com forward slash IFRS. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ruth Pretty. Happy accounting. The preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.